0: Hi there, everyone. I trust that you're doing really well, and I trust that you're enjoying this series and are really blessed by it. God is just doing such a precious work in our church at the moment, especially with regards to the school of prayer. He's schooling us in this whole area of prayer. And I trust that you'll really be blessed by this message that I preached back in November 2018. Last week, I covered the first six points of overcoming immaturity in prayer. And this week, I'll be covering the next six points. I believe that God is doing something so powerful and he's been waiting for this season for us to really export this to the nations. So I wanna encourage you, join us in our prayer meetings, find out about them on our website, www.gochurch.co.za. God is doing something so precious and the way we grow in prayer is surrounding ourselves with people who pray, you know, pursuing them, following them and seeing how they pray, spending time with them in prayer. And then something rubs off on us and we go to our next level. I believe that this message is really anointed. I've been enjoying actually listening to what I preached four years ago and feeling like, oh, where did that point come from? Wow, Lord, you're ministering to me. So be blessed and keep growing in the Lord. Amen. Father, I thank you for your word. Thank you, God, for revelation knowledge. I thank you that each person that is here is here by appointment. Thank you, God, that each person that has come that will hear this word will leave changed. This message will not be robbed from us, but it will sink deep, and there will be fruit as we receive it. We come against every hindrance in the name of Jesus everything that would want to hinder us from benefiting from something that's our right, our covenant right in Christ Jesus. And the people of God said, Amen. That's right. Last week, I began to talk to you about overcoming immaturity in prayer. Overcoming immaturity in prayer. And I said to you that another title we could give is Prayer that gets results, because when we're immature in our praying, our results are limited. Amen. And I want to show you these things, because these things we don't get by osmosis. Some people think that, oh, if you just stay around certain people, somehow it will just happen." How I many of you know that some of these things have to be taught? And many of us, we become mystical about a lot of these principles. So we kind of just think that there's a mystery behind them. And some people figure these things out and others don't. But how many of you know that true discipleship has to be replicated? So if someone is sharing with you something that happens in their lives that is powerful, if they're a true disciple maker, they should be able to teach you how you can also do it. You see, today we have a lot of people who try to be mystical about these prayer things, right? And you say, but how can I have that for myself? And they just tell you that, my brother, they are levels. Now, it's fine to tell people that they are levels, but you need to also tell them how to get to their next level, amen? You can't just say, hey, you can't touch me. They are levels, my brother, just because you want praise from them, amen? So I want to teach you these principles So that you pray prayers that get results. And last week I shared with you the first six. And now this week we're going to go into the next six. And the following week I'll give you the next six. Are you ready? I want to encourage you as we preach messages, don't listen to them once. If you believe that this is something from heaven that is your portion, I'm telling you now what the enemy does is he tries to rob it from you. So I want to encourage you, go back afterwards, and as you're praying, keep listening to the message. There's a principle in learning called spaced repetition. It's where you hear something, you digest it, you put it into practice, you hear it again, you digest it, you put it into practice. Amen. We want to be a praying church. So if you missed last week, please catch up, Um, and I'm now going to start with point number seven. One of the key reasons Why people are immature in their prayers. One of the key signs that show us that someone is immature in their praying is that they only pray one type of prayer. They only pray what? They only pray one type of prayer. You see, when you're immature, you'll focus on one type of prayer. For example, you'll focus on just making petitions, making requests to the Lord. But how many of you know that we have different types of prayers? And the Bible is very clear in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 18. Some of you will know this scripture. It says, and pray in the Spirit. That's already one type of prayer. (laughs) Pray in the Spirit on all occasions. Some of you only pray concerning certain things, but other things you don't associate with God. You know the kind of people I'm talking about? You say to them, can you pray about that? Do you like that dude Okay, have you prayed about it? You know, Pastor, I don't pray about relationships. The Bible here says, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions. So pray in the Spirit when you're about to sin and you want to stop sinning. Amen? Pray in the Spirit when you're about to do an exam. Pray in the Spirit when you get into your car. Pray in the Spirit when you're about to give a presentation. So pray the Spirit, on all occasions. Now, watch this. With all kinds of prayers and requests. So when I see this, it shows me that there are different kinds of prayers. Amen? There are different kinds of prayers. And my prayer life is limited if I only use one type of prayer. Some of you have been Christians for a long time, but your default is only one type of prayer. Now, if you look in Scripture and if you look in practice you will know that there are different types of prayer. For example, there's the prayer of agreement. In the Bible, Jesus says, "If one or two of if two or three of you agree on a particular thing in my name, it shall be done." How many of you know that there are times when you can just agree? It's a type of prayer. There are times when my wife and I will sit and we will just agree on a particular thing, and it's almost like there's an acceleration in the answer. Sometimes we would not have even prayed about it. We're just in agreement. And I'm like, my love. By the way, she's preaching in uh, the Pretoria East Church. I think I mentioned that last week. She's doing two Sundays there on activating the prophetic. So we remember them in that situation. Amen. All right. And they made it through, by the way, last Sunday. They've, they're going to be in SA Champs, both her and Samuel. Okay. So thank you for your prayers. She won her age group. All right. So... It says here, on all occasions, with all kinds of prayers and requests, with this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Now, how many times is prayer mentioned in those two sentences? Quite a number of times, right? And pray in the Spirit, when? On all occasions, how? With all kinds of prayers and requests, with this in mind, be alert, so that's watching, and always keep on praying, how many times? Always, for all the Lord's people, how I many of you can see that prayer is clearly a priority here? All right? Now, what are the different types of prayers? We need to know them. There's the prayer of agreement. There's the prayer of binding and loosing. When Jesus talks about how you have to first bind the strong man, talking about spiritual warfare. How I many of you know that there's certain demonic entities that come against families, that come against churches, that come against businesses. And you have to know your authority. You have to know who you are in Christ. And you pray the prayer of binding and loosing. One of the things that happens to me is sometimes I'm about to pray, I'm about to intercede, then I'll have a certain vision that I have. And I won't go into detail of the vision, but when I see that vision, it's the Lord speaking to me and he is saying, this one requires warfare. And how many of you know that if I had just interceded and I hadn't prayed according to how God was calling me to pray, I might not get the results. Amen? So God is calling us to a deeper place of prayer where we ask God first, what strategy should I use? There's the prayer of relinquishment. What's the prayer of relinquishment? It's where you just say, Lord, I'm letting go this particular thing. Lord, I'm giving up. How many of you know that there's a type of giving up that's good? Not all giving up is bad. Sometimes when we're striving in our own strength, sometimes when we're looking for a new job in our own strength, when we want that promotion in our own strength, sometimes we have to pray the prayer of relinquishment. What is that prayer? It's where we basically just say, Lord, I'm letting go and I'm letting God. Some personality types struggle praying that type of prayer. That's the prayer of relinquishment. There's also the prayer of consecration. What is the prayer of consecration? It's where you're basically saying, Take my life, Lord, and let it be. Remember that old hymn, right? Right? Take it, take my hands, my feet, my mouth, everything. Lord, I consecrate myself to you, my body, everything, my dreams. I just lay them down at your feet. That's the prayer of consecration. And there are times when God just says, listen, listen, stop all of this intercession. I just need you to consecrate yourself to me. Because you are praying, standing on behalf of other people, but you're not yet consecrated. Are you hearing me this morning? There's a prayer of thanksgiving where we're thanking the Lord. It says, enter his gates with thanksgiving. That's the prayer of thanksgiving. How many of you know that thanksgiving is the highest form of faith? There are times when you've been praying, petitioning, saying, God, I want this, God, I want this, God, I want this, which is a type of prayer, making a petition. And then God shifts gears and says, I want you to start the prayer of thanksgiving. Begin to thank me for that particular thing, for it's already done in the Spirit. Amen. And that's the prayer of thanksgiving. There's the prayer of supplication, where you're asking God, Lord, come through. Come through for us. Come through for me. I mean, you know that there's watching? There's watching. When it says here, be alert, that's why Jesus says, watch and pray. There are times when God gets you up at night and he just wants you to watch, to be alert. You see, we're not called to just pray. We're also called to watch. And as you're watching as a watchman, you're alert. He begins to drop into your spirit because you're available. Remember I spoke to you last week about faithful, available, and teachable. He begins to drop in your spirit certain things. Why? You're the one who's alert, like a security guard. I remember when we were growing up, we used to have security guards that would come to our house. And um, not all the time, but there were certain seasons. I'm not too sure why. Why? you know, and sometimes I would go and I would give them coffee or hot chocolate, and I felt quite convicted about that as a young boy. Let me give them, because I felt sorry for these guys, just sitting on our stoop. We didn't call them stoops uh, in Zim. We called them, what did we call them in Zim? Anyway, sitting there, right, and I would take hot chocolate out for them, and then what do I notice? The guy's sleeping. The is sleeping. How do you feel when a security guard is sleeping? I mean, if you know that some of you are security guards in the kingdom, where God is saying, I want you to watch. I want you to tarry. I want you to be watching in the spirit. Watching in the spirit. But we are sl- we're in slumber. Amen? Alright? So there is watching. There's the prayer of intercession. What's the prayer of intercession? It's where you stand in the gap. That's priestly ministry. You're standing in the gap on behalf of someone else. And that's noble. And there are great rewards for that. Okay? There's also what we call the prayer of faith. The prayer of faith. The Bible tells us that if you ask for anything in my name, what will he do? He says, I will give it to you, right? If you believe that you have received it, past tense, it will be yours. The Bible says, go and look in Mark chapter 11. Go and look at it around verse 22 through to 24. If you believe that you have received it, it will be yours. That is, that is a very powerful prayer, the pr- prayer of faith. Do you know what the prayer of faith does? The prayer of faith reinforces... A legal reality. Let me just explain something to you. I don't need faith. I don't need faith to go downstairs after the service and get into my car. I don't need faith. Okay, guys, let's just have a prayer meeting. Let's believe God that I have a vehicle out there and that it is indeed mine and that these keys shall work for that vehicle. Do I have to do that? I don't have to do that. Why? Because the fact that it is my car is a reality settled in heaven. I want to explain something to you because a lot of Christians are trying to muster up faith for things that are already theirs. Are you hearing me? The Bible says that you've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. That is a legal fact. That is something that has happened when scripture tells us that Jesus has been given the name that is above every name. And that all authority in earth and in heaven is his. Everything has been placed under his feet. You can't have the head above and then the feet are below the enemy. Are you hearing me? We're seated in heavenly places with one Christ Jesus, the Bible tells us. So where our head is, we, the body, are also. It's a legal fact. And when we have that revelation, we then know the type of prayer to pray. That for things that he's already given us, we don't have to be just, I'm interceding, Lord, please, I'm crying out, please, can I have it? Because God is looking at you and he's saying, you're asking me for something I've already given you. If I've already given it to you, why has it not yet manifest into the natural? Begin to do the things that take things from heaven and bring them into the natural realm. What are those things? It's when we prophesy the thing. It's when we decree the thing. Amen? It's when we make a declaration. When I get out here and I'll say, folks, I'm going home after this via the shops to get some pencil cases for my kids. But from here, I'm going home. I'm not saying, Lord, please may I be able to get into the car afterwards. Please may it really be my car. It's a fact. I'm making the declaration. Amen? There are certain things that only happen to us when we pray governmental prayers. What is a governmental prayer? What is a governmental prayer? It's where you are executing judgment on a situation. It's where you are legislating things in the spirit realm. In fact, things that have already been legislated, you are decreeing that they are a reality in the earth realm. Are you following this morning? All right? One of the ways you get the stuff that God has already given you is when you pray in the spirit. The Bible tells us when you pray in other tongues, you're praying mysteries unto God. They're things he's already deposited into your spirit, man. And our job is to get that stuff out and let it flow as rivers of living waters, right? And touch the people around us. That's why sometimes when we call people up to pray, we're not interceding for them. It's an impartation. It's an activation. So I often will say to people who pray for people up here, guys, especially your intercessory type of people, when you're praying and administering healing up here, don't get into intercessory mode. You can do that in the closet beforehand. In the closet beforehand, you can cry out, Lord, may people be open to healing. May they be open to your move. Come down in your glory, Lord. But I'm telling you now, when someone says, need prayer, what are you doing? You're doing what Jesus did. You never see Jesus now going into intercessory prayer for the healing. You don't see that. What do you see? What do you see? He's basically saying, be healed. He's commanding something. That he understands. Remember even with the raising of the dead when it came to Lazarus. What did he say? He says, Father, I already know that you hear all my prayers. I'm just praying for the sake of these people who are listening. But I already know you heal. And what did he say? Lazarus come forth. He commanded something. And for some of you, God is taking you to that place where you've only prayed intercessory prayers or you've only supplicated and God is now saying, I need you to pray at a different level. I need you to begin to command the things that I've already legislated. Amen. Do you receive that for yourself? Is that your portion? I'm telling you how to pray so you can get results. There's also communion. I'm not talking about the communion when we're taking the bread and and the juice. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about just communing with God. You see, many of us, we get very caught up in praying for other people, praying, and and that's the work of prayer. But God is calling us to also just commune with Him. What are we talking about? Just having that relationship with Him. That He's your daddy. He's your father. You can literally just be with Him. As you are driving, you're just like, Lord, what do you think of this? Lord, what's happening in the nation? What's your take on this? Lord, this is how I'm feeling. Amen? Amen. So we must always have the devotional aspect of prayer, and then there's also the work of prayer. Can I hear an amen? There are different types of prayers, and there are others also that I won't go into right now. I still remember there were times when the Lord would actually show us that, you know what? Just intercede for this individual. Don't get into warfare. I remember my wife having that experience once, where the Lord would... In fact, it's been more than once. It's become a culture where we basically will sometimes be like, you know what? Do we need to just intercede or should we go into warfare? Because I'm going to feel that when you go into warfare, you're battling on someone else's behalf. And sometimes you have to be careful what battles you go into. Remember how King David would ask the Lord first, and you would say, Lord, should I attack the Philistines? How should I do it? This way or that way? Up or down? Where should I go? What's the strategy? So don't just go into any type of spiritual warfare. Make sure it's a warfare that God has commissioned you to go into. Amen. Because you see, when you engage in spiritual warfare, you're basically saying, all right, I'm going to take this on, and I'm now addressing that particular spirit. Now, I don't want you to be fearful, and we're going to cover it just now. Don't be afraid of the devil. But what I'm saying is don't just aimlessly go into any type of warfare, especially when it's warfare concerning someone you don't really know, and you don't really know the circumstances. You understanding what I'm saying? Because there are people who are into dodgy stuff out there. All right, there might be someone who's doing something illicit, and if you now just go and say, I'm gonna go on warfare on his behalf in the name of Jesus, I rebuke you, devil, and I rebuke this, and so on. You don't know what the circumstances are, you don't know what foothold the enemy has in that particular person's life. And here's the thing if you can't deal with the backlash, then you'll have problems. You see, there's some people, for example, they carry a spirit of lust, just giving you an example. And it's something they haven't particularly overcome. Now that person must be very careful about going into a prayer meeting now and saying, I'm going to address you principality of lust in this particular nation. I rebuke you and so on. If you yourself aren't covered in that particular area. That's why we say you cannot separate um, deliverance from discipleship. Are you hearing me? There are a lot of people doing verbal warfare, but they're not discipled in a particular area. Some of you got that. Alright? So we need to be wise when it comes to warfare. Why do we need to pray different kinds of prayer? Why do we need to pray different kinds of prayer? It's like you're in an army. It's like you're in an army. If you were in a battle, would you use a submarine if your enemy had aircraft? Would you use an army tank if you're dealing with an enemy that is underwater or in a ship somewhere? You'll lose the battle because you're not using the right weapon. If someone wants to have close combat with you and they've got what looks like a dagger and they're coming up for you, is it wise to try and look for an army tank to get into? Or should you also have some form of dagger? Are you hearing me this morning? We can't just use any type of weapon. The Bible talks about weapons of righteousness and they're multiple and we need to know what these weapons are. We can't just use any type of weapon and expect to get the victory. Okay? Let me give you another example. How many of you like soccer here? Okay. I'm seeing a few surprises. A few surprises. All right. Here's the interesting thing. We all know, those of us who are soccer lovers, we all know that there's some teams that win based on tactics. They're not necessarily the stronger team, but they win based on tactics. Have you noticed that the devil almost, he, he often overcomes certain Christians because of tactical warfare. The Bible says we must not forget his schemes. We must be aware of his, the schemes of the enemy. What is that talking about? The trickery of the enemy. Because we have the authority, but often we're tripped up in our lives. Why? Because we use the wrong tactics. Barcelona, for example, is a very good side, isn't it? It's a very good side. But some people will say, how would Barcelona deal with a team like Stoke? Stoke City. Because there are certain teams that have mastered the art of beating once off some of the top teams, merely because of tactics. So when you are playing a team that's super good, that has a strong passing game, what do you do? You'll find that teams like Stoke City in the past, they'll just put a guy like Peter Crouch up there, right in front of the goals. And they'll do the direct play, long balls. Man United sometimes does that when they bring on Fellaini, don't they? And they do the long ball because they're like, you know what, we can't dribble through these people. So let's just do the long ball and we'll try and win on the set pieces. And that's why you, you find out, how come Stoke City beat that great team? What actually happened there? Oh, they had two set pieces, and they've got a set piece specialist who's very good at that, and and they won. One of them was a free kick, and the other one was a corner. And the team has won because of that. Amen? So we must pray with a type of intelligence that says, you know what, how am I going to nail things in this particular situation? There are other teams that will say, our strategy today is we're going to play possession soccer. Right? You 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 know Pep Guardiola, the coach? Right, the Man City coach, that's his approach, isn't it? It's like, guys, if the other team doesn't ever get the ball, then they can't really win. Can you see that they're different strategies for different games? Although they play the same all the time, okay? They play the same all the time. That's their strategy. But you'll notice with teams like Man United, Jose Mourinho is a tactician. So he'll be like, sometimes, you know what, it's fine, guys. We know that they'll have more possession. You'll see this afternoon. <laughs> it's fine that they have more possession. It's fine that they have more possession. It's okay. But this is what we're going to do in order to score. And then when we're playing, other people will play differently. Are you hearing me this morning? We need to be in a place in our prayer lives where we say, God, what's your strategy for today? And we apply that particular strategy. There'll be times when he says, you know what? Praise will be your weapon today. There'll be other times when he says, you know what? I want you to pray prevailing prayer. What is prevailing prayer? It's where you keep pushing in prayer until something happens. Amen? A battering ram using military terminology. Amen? I've got more soccer examples, but I know people like Tabs will get too excited and so on because he likes soccer. So I'm going to stop the soccer examples. Amen? All right. So... Pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and keep on praying for all of God's people. Number eight, your prayer motive, your prayer motive is self-glorifying or only partially for God's glory. This is a mistake we sometimes make, and it's a sign of immaturity when it comes to prayer. When your motive is to glorify yourself, some Christians can say they give God the glory, but in the very same sentence, they want to get that same glory. You know what I'm talking about, right? Hey, we praise God. We just thank you. We just say, but just a little bit of glory for me also. But thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. We just praise the Lord. You know those guys, when they're sharing testimonies, even with the pastors, we just wanted to say, we just wanted to thank God, but we just would like the whole church to just know, and everyone in the whole world to also know, you know, that we're also quite good and skilled. But yeah, we thank God, we thank God, all right? Now here's the thing, If if you want to pray prayers that get results, make sure that you pray prayers that will give God the glory. Where the result of that prayer, God is going to be glorified and maximum glory maximum glory to the Lord. If you want breakthrough in your life, and if you want to go from a place of being mediocre, you have to go through the school of the glory of God. That's why I've preached before on the technology of His glory. Some of you might remember that from a number of years ago. The technology of His glory, all right? This is where your desire for glory and praise, your desire from, for glory and praise from man dies, And you're consumed with the glory of God. You will do all things for God's glory alone. You will make God's glory be your ultimate goal. I want to encourage you to be consumed with his glory. Be consumed with his glory. In John 14 verse 12 to 14. Very powerful scripture. Truly, truly, I tell you. Whoever believes in me. Will also do the works that I am doing. You see. Jesus hasn't got a complex. Jesus is not insecure. He's the one who said that the things that I'm doing, if you believe in me, you will also do. So he wants us to do what he did. Amen? He doesn't have a complex about that. All right? Now, watch this. It says he will do even greater. Say to the person next to you, even greater. Amen. He will do even greater things than these. Because I go to the Father. I'm sure that there's certain scriptures where if you meditate on a scripture, biblical meditation is not the same as Eastern meditation. Eastern meditation is where you blank out your mind. And that's one of the quick ways of getting demons into you. Because you create a vacuum. Biblical meditation is where it's, the word meditate in scripture in the Hebrew is to utter and to mutter. So biblical meditation is when you're uttering and you're muttering. A bit like a cow when a cow is chewing the cud, right? That's what you're doing. You go to the scriptures and you do that. Now, there's certain scriptures where you can get so much out of them. So, so much out of those scriptures if you meditate on them. And this is one of them. It goes on to say, because I'm going to the Father. And I will do whatever you ask in my name. You know what that in my name means? In my stead. It's like getting a promissory note. Right? It's getting something signed by someone. To say this is my signature, you can use it. How many of you use other people's signatures? Hopefully, with their permission. Okay, it's like that. It's as if they had done it. I'm seeing some smiles, some nervous giggles throughout. Okay, all right, but isn't it so powerful? He says, "And I, and I will do." That's his commitment, and you can see he's excited about it. I will do whatever you ask in my name. Now, when I'm now, when he does something that's in his name, it's something that will glorify him. He wouldn't do something in his name that wouldn't glorify him. Are you following? Watch, watch this. It says, so that the father may be glorified in the Son. So what's the goal of Jesus answering the prayer? So that the Father is glorified. So if I pray things that don't result in the Father being glorified, guess what? He won't answer. Can you see that? So my, my business in prayer is to seek his face and to figure out, God, what will glorify you? What is going to glorify the Father? Those are the type of prayers I can pray in the name of Jesus, and I'll get results. Let me ask you a question. If you're sick in your body, is the Father glorified by your healing? Yes. So we can conf- confidently declare healing. If you go and you say, Father, may you expand the porn industry in South Africa? Is that something that will glorify him? No. Are you following? Silly example, but you get the point, right? Now watch this. Watch this. He says, so that my fa- the Father may be glorified in the Son. Verse 14, if you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Now, that's his second time saying it. Why is he repeating himself? Because he's emphasizing that if we pray in his name, and if it's something that glorifies the Father, he's reinforcing the fact that he will do it. Here's my question. Are you convinced of this? Are you convinced of this? You know what the starting point is? It's verse 12. I tell you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I'm doing. Whoever believes in, in me. Let me just explain. What are we believing God for? You see, many of you try to get faith, excuse me, for very specific things. And so each day is a faith journey for you. You're like, I've got faith for this, but I don't have faith for this. I have faith for this, but I don't have faith for this. Let me help you. The thing to believe is to believe in Jesus and to believe that you are in Jesus and he's in you. That's the oneness we have. You see, when the believer knows that he's been recreated, as the Bible says in the book of Ephesians, that we've been created in Christ Jesus... We've become a new creation, recreated in Christ Jesus for good works, which he had already prepared in advance. Ephesians chapter 2, go and read from about verse 8 onwards. You see, if I believe that I was buried with Christ, I suffered with Christ, I died with Christ, I was raised with Christ and in Christ from the dead that's what the Bible says it's a legal thing done finished and then when he ascended and he was seated at the right hand of the father I am also in him and everything is under his feet I'm part of his body so all those things are also under me that's the thing we have to believe And when you believe that you are in Christ Jesus, you begin to pray the prayers that he's praying currently as he's seated at the right hand of the Father. And those are only prayers that will glorify the Father. Amen? I want to know what those prayers are. And I want to be aligned with those prayers. And I want to be praying the same prayers. Those are prayers that get answered. Those are prayers that get results. Amen? Now, if someone wants to be a wealthy person and they're a Christian, if they understand this principle, they will quickly be a kingdom financier. You see, because what is going to glorify Jesus? What is going to glorify the Father? The Father is not just glorified by you having nice things. So if all you do every day is just pray for those nice things, You might have challenges. But I can tell you right now that the Father is glorified by the advancement of His kingdom. And when you say, God, my primary purpose as a kingdom financier is to to advance your kingdom, guess what ends up happening? You will see your prayers being answered because you've chosen to do things that are fruitful and that will glorify the Father. And in the process, He remembers you. One of the words we got When this church started, my wife got the word, take care of what's mine and I'll take care of what's yours. Amen? I'm trying to help you here to position yourself. I'm telling you, you will never lack. That's why I said to you, Matthew 6, verse 33, what does it say? Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. You see, some people struggle with the prayer of relinquishment. They're still holding on to their own dreams. They're still holding on to their own agendas. And they're saying, but God, why aren't you answering my prayer? Maybe you need to pray that prayer of relinquishment and actually say, I'm letting this go. I'm allowing the stripping process to take place. God, come with your plan. Come with your agenda and watch this space. Amen. If I'm praying prayers that are self-glorifying or glorifying someone else, how can Jesus answer those prayers? And Jesus knows the motive of our hearts. doesn't matter what you say to your pastor or how you look on the outside. Jesus knows the motives of our hearts. James 4 verse 2 to 3. You crave what you do not have. How many of you are craving certain things that you don't have? I'm if you sometimes find yourself full of envy. I was coaching someone the other day and I said, "How do you feel about a decision Person X made? What's the emotion? How do you feel?" And the person said, she was, she was honest with me, and she said, "Envy?" That was one of the things she was feeling concerning someone else. Okay? You crave what you do not have. You kill and you covet, but are unable to obtain it. I am mean, if you're in situations where there are things you want, but you're unable to obtain those things. You quarrel and fight. You do not have. Why don't we have? Because you do not ask. You know that very often the Lord responds to the requests that we make. Sometimes we've got this thing that, oh, no, 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 God knows my needs, so it will just happen. But it says here in the book of James, you do not have because you do not ask. Are there certain things you need to be asking God for? Are there certain details you need to be going into? Some of you might be saying, but Paul, I've asked and I've asked. Well, he goes on to say this in verse 3. And when you do ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives. What should the motive be? It says, you ask so that you may squander it on your own pleasures. So I'm trying to help you here, that if you want your prayers to be answered, make sure that the motive is right and that it's glorifying God and the primary motive is not squandering on your own pleasures. Amen. You see, the Bible says that his divine power has given us everything that we need for life and godliness in Colossians 2 verse 10. We're told that we are complete in Christ. Unfortunately, many Christians crave what they've already been given by the Lord. Those things He's already given you, pray the prayer of thanksgiving and watch what will happen. Ask God to show you this morning, Lord, what do I need to pray for in order to glorify the Father? Number nine. This is the ninth sign of immaturity in prayer. You lack discretion. You see, when God calls us to a place of intercession, intercessory prayer, when God calls us to be watchmen, guess what he does? He's trusting us with his mysteries. He's trusting us to be stewards of certain things. And we have to have that discernment to know, is this for me to share with someone else or is it for me to just pray? A lot of the things that the Lord shows us are just for us to pray. But sometimes our default, as soon as we have a vision, as soon as we see something, as soon as we pray for something, it's like, hey, this is what I saw concerning you. Amen? You see, I want God to trust me with more revelation. So I have to be entrusted with revelation from Him. But how do I do that? I have to be trustworthy. And sometimes as intercessors, we can disqualify ourselves by talking too much. And saying things that we haven't been permitted to say, because you see, I could be praying for someone. I could be praying for Isha. The Lord can show me certain things about him, about his future, and it's just stuff for me to pray. Are you hearing me? It's just tough for me to pray. In fact, in fact. He's a good example of that because I was praying for, for you guys just a couple of days ago. But it's stuff I can share with you, actually. Um, not here, but I'll share with you on one. on. But I was praying for them. I just didn't get around to telling them. But I needed wisdom. I needed to know, how do I word this? Is this a question I must ask them? Right? Because sometimes when you see something for people's lives that could be potentially quite exciting, you also have to be careful because it can be controlling, especially if they respect you and you just say, this is what I saw, especially if it's quite directional. Are you hearing me? Okay. So we need wisdom to know what's for the person and what's for me to just pray in my prayer closet. Discretion is knowing when to say what. God needs to be able to trust us with what he shows us. The Bible talks about Paul the Apostle where he says that I received these great mysteries and I should not be proud because of them, right? But he needed wisdom to know what to share and what not to share. So the first thing you need to ask yourself is, am I willing to pray through this? Or am I just this person who's going to quickly rush to someone and say, this is what God showed me? Are they ready to hear the particular thing? Okay. The mature praying person only talks when God says, to speak. Amen? In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 3 to 4, this is Paul speaking. He says, and I know that this man, whether in the body or out of it, I do not know, but God knows, was caught up into paradise. Now he's talking about himself. He's speaking about himself in second person, but he's talking about himself, right? And then he says, the things he heard were too sacred for, they were too sacred for words. So when you are caught up, Sometimes God can share with you things that are too sacred for words. And watch what he goes on to say. Things that man is not permitted to tell. Isn't that wonderful? In your journey with the Lord that he can reveal to you certain things, but some of the things are things that man is not permitted to tell. I don't know about you, but I want to be someone who God can trust with his stuff. You see, if you seek the praise and recognition of man, maybe that will end up your reward alone. The praise and recognition that has come from man. God is there and he wants to reward you for your prayers. He wants to reward you for what you've done in the closet. But you're now tying his hands because you're like, I'm going to get my own reward. Because people are going to think I'm so spiritual when I share with them all this interesting, juicy stuff. You understand what I'm saying? There are things that I don't share from the pulpit. Sometimes I'll share certain principles I've learned from it. There are things that will happen to me sometimes. They can happen in the middle of the night. Sometimes I'll see a particular thing or experience a particular thing and so on. I don't always share it. Number one, some people won't understand some of the stuff. Number two, some people, it will freak them out. Amen? What is to be shared? There are some things that can only be shared with certain people who understand those things. Sometimes we have visions or encounters. Sometimes it is difficult to tell whether it was a dream or it was a vision or it was a real incident. So it requires discernment. To the degree to which we are faithful with that which he gives us, and we do what he wants us to do with it, to the same degree does he trust us with more. How many of you this morning are saying, Paul, I want to be trusted with more? I want to be trusted with more. I'm telling you something. When he trusts you with more, you end up with what I call prophetic advantage in your life. How many of you would like that? Prophetic advantage. Where you're there in the workplace and you're such an intercessor, such a watchman. God just in the overflow also says, let me just also show you this stuff and warn you about this and this and that. So that you can make the right decisions at work. God does that. Look what happened with Joseph. Joseph. His gift from God was what opened doors for, for promotion for him. Not so? How I many of you know that sometimes God can gift you, and the gift is primarily to rescue and save people, but that gift can also result in your promotion? There are times when I'm coaching people, and I'll just, a lot of them aren't saved, and I'll just speak to them naturally, asking them all sorts of questions. One Hindu lady said to me the other day, I just know uh, with your coaching, there's some, higher thing, there's some higher power in operation there. Because I would read her mail. You know the concept, prophetically, when not talking about reading someone's mail. The Lord would show me certain things about the person and so on, and I will just be asking them, just be asking them. I remember one time I did a a motivational talk, and it was for a particular organization, a well-known organization, and it was for the legal guys there. So it was a legal conference. And after the conference, one of the leaders, I was there sitting, and we were all having lunch. And I said to one of the leaders, the Lord said, Ask her this question. Ask her about her relationship with her mother. Now, this person seemed very normal, well-groomed, individual, corporate leader, corporate executive. Just ask her about her mother. And I said to her, "Um, can you just tell me about your relationship with your mom? Can you just tell me about your mother? What's the story there? She literally began to, like, shake. It was almost like it was a manifestation of sorts. She says, I'm going to need to get something to drink. Something stronger than this, if we're going to talk about my mother. That's what she said to me. She says, what type of coach are you? Have you got other stuff? Like, what, what t- are you hearing me? Sometimes the Lord will just give you a question. But that question that you ask people causes people to remember you. They never forget you. Amen? So that's what I call prophetic advantage. It's primarily for other people. It's give, how God gives us that it's for other people, but in the process, people will notice you. I still remember some years ago in one of the banks, I was, I was coaching a particular guy. It was a one-on-one session. It was with a Muslim guy, and this Muslim guy, hardcore Muslim guy, you know the guys who know the Quran off by heart. Again, I started reading his mail in that session. Some of you think prophetic only flows in church. God is interested in all of life. Amen. He loves those people out there. Use your gifts, not just in a church setting. Amen. I started reading his mail. The guy was blown away. He says, Paul, how do you know all of this about me? You've only known me for 45 minutes. What's going on? How I many that for some people, they'll only take Christianity seriously when they see the power that comes with it. But how many of you know that the Bible tells us that we have the mind of Christ? We have the mind of Christ. If you just meditate on that scripture, watch the dimension that you begin to walk in. You can know what Christ knows. Let's, let's not tone it down. You have the mind of Christ. Father, may you give me... Uh, Father, I thank you that you have given me the mind of Christ concerning my organization. Father, I thank you that you're the I am. You're not the I was or the I will be. So I position myself now over this organization, and I thank you that you're showing me things to come. The Lord begins to show you these things to come, and you begin to warn the leaders in your organization about those things. Guess what's going to happen? After a while, they begin to listen to you. Some of you are like, oh, but you can't do that. It's an unfair advantage. You say, yes, that's the favor of God on your life as a believer. That's the recreated new man in Christ Jesus who should be functioning at that level. Amen. That's what Joseph did. That's exactly what Joseph did and resulted in his promotion. That's what Daniel did. That's why they said concerning Daniel, this guy is 10 times better. In fact, both him and his friends, they're 10 times better than the magicians of Babylon. May that be your portion. May that be your portion. That you'll be seen in the workplace as 10 times better than the magicians of houting the wizards of houting you are better they are under your feet you are in Christ Jesus are you ready to walk in that dimension it's your portion it's not an it, uh, I know but it's like it's cheating it's cheating no that's how the father will be glorified the bible says no one knows god's spirit Except, no one knows God's heart or what's on God's mind except the spirit of God. No one knows a man's spirit except the man himself. Right? Except the spirit of the man. But we have the spirit of God. We have the mind of Christ. And the more you renew your mind concerning these truths, watch what begins to happen. See, most of us, we rely on our natural wisdom and our natural knowledge. We lean on the arm of flesh don't we right and it ties God's hands because God wants to come and supernaturally use you supernaturally how I many of you are in sales here you know that your sales can multiply because you rely on the Lord Lord can just show you where the harvest is when you start off your day in sales don't just go in and yeah you know yeah so technically speaking we should be like this say Lord You've said that the steps of the righteous are ordered by the Lord. I'm a righteous person, not because of my deeds, but because of Christ's righteousness. The Bible tells me that I've become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. It says in in Corinthians that he who knew no sin became sin so that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. So the same confidence that Jesus prays to the Father, I can pray with that same confidence. Because I'm not praying based on anything I've done. I'm praying based on his relationship with the Father. In his name. Amen. So Lord, I thank you that I have right standing with you because of Christ Jesus. And that your word tells me that the steps of the righteous are ordered by the Lord. I thank you that my steps will be ordered by you today. And that my portion, Lord, you're the one who gives me the power to create wealth. And that this is my portion today. So you will lead me to the right places. Maybe you're a key account manager. You will know who to go to today, tomorrow, and who to avoid. Which territory is a waste of time this month, and which one gives you fruit. Amen? Prophetic advantage. You see, the problem with a lot of Christians is, what they do is, they switch off the spirit. They switch off hearing God's voice. On Monday morning, then they switch it back on Sunday morning. Amen? Number 10. This is the 10th sign of immaturity in prayer. Are you getting something out of this? Alright, you are afraid of the devil. It's a sign of immaturity. You know those people who get intimidated by the enemy. And what they don't understand is that the enemy wants you to be in fear, because when you're in fear, fear gives a foothold to the enemy, because fear is from the enemy's kingdom. A lot of people who come from Satanism and those backgrounds, they'll say, when I tried to leave, they would threaten me, and I was full of fear. I was full of terror. Fear doesn't belong to the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is to do with love, joy, peace, faith. It's a kingdom of faith, not fear. Amen? And so what I find interesting is that a lot of Christians are afraid of the devil. I counsel people and you hear them saying, Yeah, because his family put this thing on me. Yeah, my wife's family put this thing on me and so on. I'm like, you're speaking like you're not saved. You're speaking like you're not in Christ Jesus. When you're in Christ Jesus, you're uncursable. When you're in Christ Jesus, you're uncursable. Now it's your own fault. If you do things that give the enemy a legal foothold in your life, is everyone listening? When you do things that give the enemy a legal foothold in your life, that gives them a hold. So you can't be going and doing ancestral worship and all those things and saying, but I'm born again, I'm in Christ Jesus, so Satan can't touch me. Are you hearing me? All right? It's not worth it. So don't be afraid of the devil. You have some people who focus so much on the devil instead of Jesus. They see demons on every doorknob. You you know what I'm talking about. Christians who see demons on every doorknob. Everything's... Oh, oh. Oh, the church. There's too much black in the church. The speakers are black. There's black background on the banners. Too much black. Seriously? I know of a particular guy when they had their baby. This is years ago. The baby had a particular um, birthmark on his forehead. And Christians started coming and saying, Ooh, I think we need to pray for your child. I think that's the mark of the beast in the book of Revelation. Let's pray for your child. You know the type of Christians I'm talking about who become weird. You know your religious weird people. There's some people who are generally weird, and that's fine. They're weird if you see them in woolies. They're weird if you see them at pick and pay. They're weird wherever you see them. And that's okay. They're weird in church also. It's part of their personality, general weirdness. Then there are others who've got religious weird. If you're watching soccer with them, they're normal. If you are at Woolies with them, they're normal. But the moment they come in church, their accent changes. They see demons on every doorknob and they start acting funny. There's a problem there. Amen? The religious spirit, we call it. Do not be afraid of the enemy. When you walk into a city or a town, demons must tremble. you know that there are certain spirits, there are some people who come and they've been oppressed by certain spirits. And you know that they have to leave very quickly? They, they, they're restless. They're restless in the church service. I see it because I'm there, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm observing things. They're restless. Do you know why? For some people, that demon that's in them, it has to go. So so if the person doesn't want it to manifest, then then the demon goes with the person. The person goes with the demon. You get what I'm saying? Because that thing has to leave. Because of the anointing that is here and Jesus being glorified that's here, it can't stand. It can't survive. It can't cope. That's why demonic spirits manifest sometimes in church services. Because they're not comfortable. Then there are others that hide. Okay? And they've got funny ways of hiding. There was a time when someone, um, I was praying for someone uh, some years ago to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. And I prayed for them so that they could, and and they started speaking in tongues. But it was actually a demonic tongue. Okay? Now I could have left it, if I didn't have discernment, I could have just been like, "Ah, cool, they're praying in tongues, let's go. But I picked up that there was something not quite right as they were praying in other tongues. It was a demonic one. So I cast it out. And then afterwards, the most beautiful tongues came out of this person, right? There's a time when someone got saved. My friend was ministering to a particular guy. He, gets, um, he starts ministering to this particular person, and then this person literally begins to sing a hymn, an old hymn. Now, in the natural, you can think to yourself like, oh, cool, he's now being very religious. And you can think to yourself, wonderful. But the Lord spoke to my friend and says, that was a religious spirit manifesting so that you don't continue ministering to that particular person. And when that thing was cast out, things changed. So there's a way in which demonic spirits, I don't know why I'm saying this, there's a way in which demonic spirits hide in congregations. And we need that discernment to actually know. All right? But those of you, if ever you're in a church service and you find that, wait a minute, when it comes to watching those TV shows, I'm fine. But when I'm in church, I get restless and I can't stay for too long. And it's not just the heat, it's something else. Right? come and we'll pray for you. Amen? Because I can tell you right now that the the enemy is not comfortable. Which doctors try to place fear on people. And once the person is in a place of fear, that's when the enemy gains foothold in their lives. If you're a child of God and you invite fear, then the kingdom of darkness finds a way into your life. Do you remember the sons of Sceva? Remember what happened to the sons of Sceva in the book of Acts. If you're not familiar with the account, it's in Acts chapter 19, verse 11 to 20. Right? These guys were basically saying, you know what? Let's cast out these demons. Let's also cast out this demon from this demonized man. And instead of saying, in the name of Jesus, who they know, what did they say? They said, in the name of Jesus, who Paul preaches. So they had secondhand revelation, they didn't really know the Lord. But they were trying to copy. And what did that demonized man do? Beat them up, right? And they left town naked. The sons of Sceva. Skiva was a priest. So these were people who had grown up in a religious environment, but they didn't know their authority. Ladies and gentlemen, we must not be afraid of the enemy. We must know our authority. Amen. Okay? Very important. Christians can become so used to being anxious and fearful that they see anxiety as part of their personality. Hi, ah, It's just me, I'm always shy and afraid of things. Ah, it's just me, I'm not the confident type like you guys. I mean, you're that when you're filled with the Holy Spirit, boldness comes. I said, when you're filled with the Holy Spirit, boldness comes. We know people in this church who used to be fearful, timid, afraid, and the spirit of fear left them. How many of you, that's, that, that's you, that happened to you? I know some of the people, so I don't want to call out names, but how many of you that happened? When you came to this church, you were full of fear. You were very shy and timid. But at a certain point, the spirit of fear broke off you. Come on, some of you have shared those testimonies. You know who you are. Yes, I'm seeing some of the hands starting to go up. Some of you are still on that journey. It will happen soon. It will happen soon, because fear is not your portion. The Bible tells us in James chapter 4, verse 7, it says, submit yourselves then to God, resist the devil, and he will do what? Say to the person next to you, the devil is afraid of you. Afraid of you. Say it like you mean it now. You. If you can speak another language, say it in that vernacular language or Afrikaans or whatever else you speak. <laughs> if you... If you know the language of that person, whatever the language is, if you know their language, say it to them in their language so they really understand that the devil is afraid of you. Can you impress them? Amen? I'd love to hear that in French. I'd love to hear Brother Jim. Can you shout it out in French? The devil is afraid of you. Just shout it out. like warfare in french just sounds powerful hey it's like the french have it when it comes to being romantic and so on if it's in french it's just nice né? and then now even warfare <laughs> okay so so here's the interesting thing it says submit yourselves then to god resist the devil and he'll flee from you some christians are trying to resist the devil but they haven't yet submitted themselves to god so the bible here says submit yourself first to god Then you can resist the devil and he will flee. He won't flee if you haven't submitted yourself to God. He won't flee. Are you hearing me this morning? Okay. Why would the devil flee from someone he's not afraid of? Many Christians are not walking in righteousness and they're not submitting to God or the local church. You cannot exercise legitimate authority if you yourself are not under authority. You cannot exercise legitimate authority if you yourself are not under authority. All authority is delegated. Amen? This is an important principle. All authority is delegated. That's why Jesus says what? All authority on earth and in heaven has been given to me. Now therefore go. What is he basically saying? Go in my authority. But you can walk in my authority to the degree to which you are submitted to it. Amen? Amen? Do you know that many cults that have started were actually started by women who stepped out from the covering of their husbands? They didn't, even, they didn't get divorced. They just went on their own mission, doing their own thing. And they opened themselves up to demonic spirits. Now that's a whole study. That's a whole body of knowledge there. And I'm not going to go into it. Okay? Some people are dealing with things that are spiritual in nature, but they argue about them in the flesh. God is calling us to address things in the spirit. The enemy is not your spouse. The enemy is not your parent. They're not your enemies. The Bible tells us that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against powers, principalities, and spiritual wickedness in high places. Ephesians 6 verse 12. If you're afraid of the devil this morning, it means you're underestimating what Jesus did. Let me just say this. When Jesus rose from the dead and had all authority placed under him, it was not for him. It was for you, the church. That's a mind shift for some people. Ah, Jesus rose from the dead. Oh, wonderful. Well done, Jesus. No. He rose from the dead. The Bible says he's the firstborn from among the dead. What does firstborn imply? That there are other siblings. First implies that he was the first. Proton is the word in the Greek. But there were others who also came after him. Who's that? It's you and me. He did it for you and me. Number 11 is linked to the previous point. You focus on the devil too much. You focus on the devil too much. In Colossians 1 verse 17 to 19, it says, He is before all things, talking about Jesus. And in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead. So that in all things he may have preeminence. Who? Jesus. Okay? What's that word preeminence? What does it mean? It's most important. Best thing. Ever. Ever. Right? For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. So Jesus must have preeminence in our speech, not the devil. Some Christians talk more about the devil than Jesus. Amen? Don't be afraid of the devil. Don't focus on him. Resist the devil while you're submitted to God. And I'm telling you now, he will flee. The last one for today, number 12. This is a major sign of immaturity. It's praying carelessly whatever you feel. Praying careless prayers whatever you feel. And ties in with some of the things I've been saying to you. You see, the mature person prays the will of God. So when you come to God in prayer, don't just be quick to open your mouth. First seek his face to figure out what his will is. And once you know his will, you'll pray strong prayers of faith. Amen? You know why often people don't pray strong prayers of faith? They don't pray strong prayers of faith because they're not too sure what the will of God is. If you come and ask me for something, if Sipo over here comes and asks me for something... And he's not too sure whether I can give it to him or not. He'll be very sheepish, won't he? In his asking. But if I say to him, Sipo, I just want you to know, I think we wear the same size shoes. I've got a whole lot of shoes that I don't wear anymore, and I've hardly used them. Please, 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 as soon as possible, whenever you want, I'm giving away shoes at the moment. Please just give me a call. When you're ready, just tell me when you can come and I'll pass them on to you. Nice stuff, my brother. If I've already told him that, how confident will he be in his request when he phones me? But right now, without me having told him that, can he just pick up the phone and say, can I have some shoes? (laughs) Are you hearing me? So where do we gain confidence? We look in the word and we see all the things that the Father has granted us. And there are lots of things. Now, if Sipo knew that Paul has got a particular journal where he's written out all the stuff that he wants to give away, if he knew that, he'll be very quick to get that journal, won't he? There's a lady at our kid's school, and they're moving to Durban, and she was selling soccer boots, nice ones that are hardly used by her son. You know how kids, they just grow out of them very quickly. And then she said, we've also got uniform. They're also uniform, so I'll let you know. I mean, if you know that school uniform is expensive nowadays, right? And often it's multiplied by multiple kids. So here's the interesting thing. Because she's already told me what she has, I can phone her up confidently. If she hadn't done so, it's not easy to just say, hey, I know you guys are moving to Durban, hey? Have you got stuff for us? Can you hook me up? You understand what I'm saying? So... You cannot separate the will of God from the word of God because God's word is his will. Are you following? If you're a very wealthy parent and then they die and you know their will is somewhere, I I know what some of you are like. You will be, you're scrambling for it. Fights will break up among siblings, break out among siblings. Why? You want to find it why don't we have that same zeal concerning the word of God? What does it mean when the Bible says the New Testament? That's his will. What's a testament? It's a will. And it's stated here, these are legal realities that are signed off to say, those who come to know me, this is what I have for them. So what I want to encourage you to do is when you read the word, read with different lenses now. Say, I want to go through the book of Ephesians, just figuring out what's his will for me. I want to go through the book of um, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians. I just want to figure out what's his portion for me. I want to go through the promises of Jesus. I just want to figure out what is he saying concerning me. And I want to get a hold of that. And those are the prayers I'm going to pray. Not asking for it, but decreeing and declaring, because he's already granted it. Amen. Now here's an interesting thing. When Jesus went to heal blind Bartimaeus, do you notice that he didn't just go directly to Bartimaeus? It says he was on his way out of town. He was leaving town. And Bartimaeus cried out and he said, son of David, have mercy on me. Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus turns around. Jesus could have said like, dude, can't you see I'm like on my way? See, some of you, you're letting Jesus pass you by instead of crying out to him. Jesus turns around, and what did Jesus say to blind Bartimaeus? Did he just go up to him and say, oh, you're blind. Okay, let me sort you out. Boom, see. He didn't. He says, what do you want? Jesus could see he was blind. Do you know that I believe if Bartimaeus had said to Jesus, you know what? I just want the crowds to be nicer to me. And I just want you to give me a nicer mat and just position me nicely in that corner where all the wealthy people and the generous people pass me by. Please, please, Jesus, I believe that Jesus might have just done that because God meets you at your level of request. And some of you, that's why when you come up for prayer, we say, what do you want? What do you believe in God for? And sometimes I might be believing God for something greater, but I'll meet you at your level of request. When you find out what God's will is for you, I believe Bartimaeus knew God's will. He knew that God's will for him was to see. And he made a request at that level. If you're ignorant of the will of God for your life, you'll pray prayers that are useless. You'll pray prayers that are mediocre. Because you haven't seen the will. You haven't seen the word. Amen. I want to close with this scripture. 1 John chapter 5, verse 14 to 15. 1 John chapter 5, verse 14 to 15. It says, and this is the confidence that we have before him. So when you come before God, confidence. If we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. This is so powerful. This is so potent. And if we know that he hears us, In whatever we ask, we know that we already, past tense, there's there's a technology to intercessory prayer here. We know that we already possess that which we have asked of him. I'm telling you right now, stop thinking that the answer to your prayer is way out in the future. Possess it in your spirit. Possess that thing in your spirit that you can't even see in the natural. And I'm telling you, if it's according to the will of God, you've got it. Manumas, you've got it. Lord gave me a dream of you guys last night. I'm telling you right now, you've got it, it's your portion. But you know what you must do. Don't listen to the other voices, don't listen to the voice of fear. Embrace it that this is my portion. This is my portion. I've got it already. It's happened past tense. Watch this space. I dreamt of it last night and I was ministering to you these things. Amen? Yes, Mpo, you can start tinkling away. I hope it's not because you have to leave quickly. I get the hint, my brother. I get the hint. (laughs) You love the congregation. You know that the congregation are feeling the heat, né? And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we already possess what we have asked of him. You shift from good to great in prayer when you know how to seek his face for his will. You then pray from that place of confidence.